This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. Does everyone have a copy of the study today? If you didn't get one, raise a hand. Thanks, Sam did a, did a great job passing those out. Thank you, Sam. There's some scripture that I, I want to introduce our thoughts with today that don't appear on the scripture you have there. And uh, incidentally, I don't know how much of this that uh, we'll cover today, but we'll see as time, time goes on. But in John 14 and 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's a pretty bold statement when you read that statement. Jesus said, I am the way to the Father and you're not going to make it without me. That's basically what he's telling us. And that's either true or it's not. And if it's true, it's the greatest truth we can ever get a hold of. And if it's not, of course, well, that's just nothing to be concerned about at all. But we've got to make a decision about Christ. He's either the way to the Father or he's not. He claimed to be. We believe that He is, those of us that are here today. We are staking our future on that by how we're living, by the things that we practice and teach and believe. And so everything is based upon that fact that we believe He is the one that can get us there and no one else can. Man's got two great needs in his life. Number one, we need forgiveness of sins. We need a sacrifice. We have got to have somebody bear our sins. We can't bear them. We cannot pay for them. We cannot offer God what it takes to pay for sin because it takes our life. We have to give our life. The wages of sin is death. We can't pay that debt, folks. We just can't. Because we'll never get through paying for it in hell. And so it's simply beyond our means to pay. We've got to have somebody to pay it in our place. And Jesus offers that, and He's the only one in this universe that offers that sacrifice, that blood, that can take care of the problem we've got with sin. That blood does so many things for us. That blood, you see, pays the debt that we owe sufficiently. His life, His, his life blood is valuable enough to pay the debt for the human race. Nothing else can, because the wage of sin is death. So we need that blood. That blood also appeases God's anger toward us. God's mad at the human race because of sin. And that wrath abides on us if we're not His child, if we're not forgiven. He's angry with us. Something has got to appease His anger and take it and remove it from us. The blood will do that. That blood enables God to be just when He justifies us. He cannot just pardon our sins. He's got to be just when He does it. He's got to be righteous in that act. It is not a righteous thing to say to a person, you have violated my law and I'll just let it go. There's nothing just about that. God can't operate that way. The debt has to be paid before God can forgive sins where He can be just, where He can justly forgive and be righteous. He has to keep His integrity in front of men and angels. Jesus satisfies that need with His blood. He's the only one that can. Then we have a second great need. We need to come up out of the ground one day because we're going in the ground. We're going to die. 
we need somebody with the power to resurrect our bodies. Or we can't live, we can't go be with the Father if we can't live again. He's the only one that can raise the dead. Muhammad can't raise anyone. Joseph Smith can't raise anyone, the founder of Mormonism. He needs a resurrection himself. So does Muhammad. There's no Eastern guru, some mystical guru of some cult that can raise the dead. There's no one in this universe to raise the dead except Jesus Christ. And therein lies the key to John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's what Jesus said. That's what we believe. Now, we cannot believe and others can't believe without evidence and testimony. That's, that's the bottom line. Not so long ago, a few weeks ago, we did a series on the internet on Wednesdays on the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. I didn't know how long it would be when we started. I probably went through both Ben and Miguel on Wednesdays because they rotate joining with me. And uh, I think we had seven lessons entirely on the series. But some of them as much as an hour 15 to an hour and a half, which I won't do here. And I know you appreciate that. So, But uh, it turned out to be a rather long series. There were 78 pages of notes, 78 of these legal size sheets. And uh, here's what I have in mind. Here's what I propose. I may do this series here for us. If I do that, I'm going to have Julie order some notebooks, some of these legal size folders, and I'll print all of these, all 78 pages, and I'll make each one of you a folder to give to you, a hard copy. And we'll use them, and you can keep them here in your seats. Today, we'll just start off with a set of about 15 pages, but there's about 78 of these, and so maybe I can make those into a notebook for you and give you your own. Because I'm very interested in, especially our younger ones here, having this material in their hands. We run across people that don't believe in Christ, and so we've got to convince them. And uh, some of them have never studied Jesus. They need evidence. You cannot believe without evidence and testimony. And this is 78 pages full of evidence is really what it is, that He is the Christ, the Son of God. And so we may cover that and then give you the material where you'll have it for the rest of your life, hopefully. And you can have it as a resource material. You that teach, there will be things in it that will be useful in building sermons. And so you can use it as a resource that way, but hopefully all of us could benefit, especially our younger ones and, and those like Sam and others that will be probably be teaching one day. It will be a useful resource for him. And uh, so we want to share those with everybody. The scriptures are so clear about faith in Christ, aren't they? There's so many of them. We couldn't read all of them. Let me quote a few. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 18 of John 3 says, He that believeth on Him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. There again that faith is required. John 8 and 24, Christ said this to the Jews, I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am He, you shall die in your sins. So the Lord says we'll die in sin without belief in Him. 
And of course that's fatal because in verse 21 there of John 8, Christ told the Jews, I go my way and you shall seek me and shall die in your sins. Whither I go you cannot come. So we can't afford to die in sin. When Jesus gave the Great Commission in Mark 16, 15 and 16, we often quote this. He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. So we've got to believe or be damned or condemned, see. But when it comes to belief, Romans 10, 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You and I have got to have evidence before we can believe a proposition. If you're sitting in a, in a courtroom and you're on a jury, defense attorneys and prosecuting attorneys are going to come before you as a juryman, and they're going to present evidence to you and testimony, and they're going to ask you to render a certain decision, one that they're convinced is the truth of the matter, or at least they're, they're furnished the job of making it the truth. However, if he's a prosecutor, he's going to want you to believe in the guilt of the person on trial. If he's a defense attorney, he's going to want you to believe in their innocence. But in order to convince you, there's got to be evidence and testimony, and it's the same way about Christ. God has commanded us to believe, and so He has supplied the, the evidence and testimony sufficient to convince us. That's the point. And the Bible is full of it from cover to cover, because the whole theme of the Bible is about Christ. And especially is that true of the New Testament. So we're going to examine that, and I want you to just suppose this morning now, as we do this part of the study, you're sitting on a jury in a courtroom. Before you, witnesses are coming forward, every one of them bringing their testimony as to the identity of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to call six categories of witnesses, six. Not just six witnesses, but six categories of witnesses. Some of them will be their own category, but, and they'll be exclusive, and others will be a group. The first is, let's hear from God Himself, what He says, God the Father. Now, you've got 15 pages here, but if you'll turn to page 6, these first five pages are blown up and large starting at page 6, so if you'll just flip over to 6. We'll start in. You see, I've already saved you five pages. <laughs> We've uncovered five. <laughs> this is what God says. Here's the, the records in the Bible, some of them. Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And the heavens, lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now that's what God said about Him. Certainly God's a reliable witness, isn't He? Mark 1, 9-11, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, He saw the heavens open and the Spirit like a dove descending upon Him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Luke gives the record in Luke 3, 21-22. Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also 
being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. Let me point out something on that verse there in Mark or Luke. Notice it tells us Jesus was praying. Have you ever noticed when he came up out of the water after his baptism, he was praying when the Holy Ghost descended? You won't learn that likely anywhere but in Luke's account of this. That's why it's important when we study to put all of the different accounts together, you see. Luke tells us he was praying. We wouldn't know that otherwise. And uh, so that's, that's an interesting fact just picked up there, and I'm throwing that in on the side. God again spoke in Matthew 17. Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on a mountain apart from all the other disciples, and he was transfigured. That is, his, he was completely changed right there in front of them to a state of glory, to his glorified state. Moses and Elijah are going to appear. Now Moses was, was taken up by God to Mount Nebo there on the east side of the Dead Sea in his day when he was 120 years old. Moses died and God buried him in an unknown grave and Elijah never died. He'd been taken up to heaven in a whirlwind, remember? So you got Moses, the great uh, giver of the law. You've got Elijah, a great representative of the prophets. You've got the law and the prophets represented here in Moses and Elijah, and then you've got Jesus Christ. And so Peter's going to be astonished by what he sees here. He's going to say, Lord, hey, it's good to be here today. Let's build three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elijah. In other words, let's honor all three of you. And a voice came at that moment from heaven, and this is God. This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye Him. In other words, Hear no longer the law, hear no longer the prophets, hear my son. This is what God's saying. Matthew 17, 1 to 9, after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun. Think of that. And his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. Mark gives this record. After six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his raiment became shining, even ex or exceeding white as snow, as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Moses with Elias, or Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. 
for he wist not what, he, what to say, for they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear ye him. And suddenly when they had looked round about, they saw no man anymore, save Jesus only with themselves. And they came down from the mountain. As they came down, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. Wouldn't you like to know what Moses and Elijah was talking to Christ about there? Luke tells us, next account. Luke 9, 28, 36. And it came to pass about an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory. Now note that statement. Moses and Elijah appeared in glory. Now notice. Notice what happened. And spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. So they came to talk to him about his death. These two men did. Of course, they, uh, one of them had died and been dead for, for hundreds of years. So his death that would be accomplished at Jerusalem. But Peter... And they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone, and they kept it close and told no man in those days any of the things which they had seen. Can you picture being on that mountain and you see Moses and Elijah and all of these and Jesus appearing in glory and His brightness is above the sun in its noonday splendor. And all of a sudden a cloud envelops you. You've just spoken, like Peter did, about building the three tabernacles. Now this cloud just overshadows you. So you're standing in a cloud, with maybe with Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. And all of a sudden this voice comes from heaven. This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Hear you him. How scared would you be? I don't have any hair on my head, but it might stand up. <laughs> that would get my attention, wouldn't it, you? And that's exactly what they experienced that day. They didn't tell anyone for a while. But in 2 Peter 1, 16-18, Peter wrote about this later. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For we, He received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to Him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with Him in the Holy Mount. See? So later he writes about that incident because Jesus had told him not to tell about it until He was risen from the dead. There's the testimony of God, all right? 
Now we, we call Jesus to the stand, his testimony. Mark 14, 60 to 62. The high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again the high priest asked him, and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am. You see, he admits he's the Christ, the Son of God. I am, and ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. In John 4, remember here the Lord is talking with the woman at Jacob's well in Samaria. The Bible says, The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he comes, he will, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. There again he identifies himself as the Messiah, as the Christ. In John 9, verse 32 to 38, the Lord's opened the eyes of a man born blind here. And, and uh, the Jews have, have told this man that's been healed by Christ that this man really can do nothing and everything. And so look what the blind man says to the Jews. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. So there again Christ then gives testimony as to His identity. He is the Christ, the Son of God. There's three examples. Then we have the testimony of angels. We've had God the Father and angels. There's a principle in the Bible, incidentally, you find in the Old Testament where it first begins. In the mouth of two or three witnesses every word will be established. The Jews could not put anyone to death on the testimony of one man. Did you know that? You could not execute a person. You could not administer capital punishment upon the testimony of only one witness. God never deemed that to be sufficient in the law. It was the mouth of two or three witnesses. And that principle's carried plumb into the New Testament. Remember, uh, one of the last times it's referred to is Paul writing to the Corinthians. He said, this is the third time I'm coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. And so that, that principle just runs like a cord and a thread all the way through the Scripture. We have given two witnesses so far, God and Christ, but I'm going to give you much more than that. I'm not going to just give two or three. We're going to talk about a lot of witnesses. Here's the angels and what they said in Luke 1, verse 30 to 33. The angel said, saith, said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shalt bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So the angel said he'll be great and be called the son of the highest. 
in Luke 2, verse 8 to 11, there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So this angel then confesses him and testifies that the one born that day is the Christ. There's God, there's Jesus, there's the testimony of angels. Now next, righteous men. Righteous men have uh, given this the identity of Christ. These are reliable witnesses. I mean, how do you get better witnesses than God and Christ Himself and holy angels? So we follow that now with lesser testimony, but nonetheless valid testimony. Righteous men. Mark 14, 33, They that were in Him in the ship came and worshipped Him, saying, Of a truth thou art the Son of God. Now that's after the Lord had, of course, calmed the winds and waves and such things. And... Uh, of course, he walked upon the sea. In Matthew 16, 16 and 17, Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood had not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. There again is the confession by Peter. He was a righteous man. In Matthew 14, those were apostles that worshipped and confessed him. In Luke 2, 25 to 32, here's an old prophet named Simeon. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. So he's righteous, isn't he? And the Holy Ghost was upon him, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all the people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. So he'd been promised he would not die till he saw the Lord's Christ, the Messiah. He declares, he takes this baby up and blesses him and say, Now, Lord, you can let me depart. I've seen him. John 1, 32 to 34. This is John the Baptist. And John, when he came baptizing, he didn't know Jesus. But God gave him a sign before, when he baptized. And he, he told John, there's going to be a man coming to be baptized. And when you see the Holy Spirit in form like a dove lighting, remaining on this person right here, this will be the Son of God. John had been given that sign. Listen to him now as he tells about it. John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him, and I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. 
So now you've got the testimony of the apostles, you've got Peter, you've got Simeon the old prophet, you've got John the Baptist. These are righteous men. And they all testify to what we saw God and Christ and the angels give testimony to. Now how about wicked men? You might say, well that's pretty, that's pretty flimsy witness there. That's pretty flimsy testimony, isn't it? Not at all. These, these enemies of Christ have nothing to gain. And John 4, 28-29, here's the woman at the well. She is, a, she is morally corrupt, this woman is. She's had five husbands. She's shacked up with a fellow now that's not her husband. She's, uh, she's, she's led a wicked life. But she recognizes Jesus and she runs into the city, even leaves her water pot there at the well, just to fetch the men of the city and tell them, come out to the well and listen to this man I've seen. Isn't this the Christ? This is what she'll tell them. This is a sinful woman and yet she is that enthusiastic about her conviction in Jesus. Look at this. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Now verse 39. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, He told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. They said, We've heard him ourselves. We don't need your testimony now. We're convinced. So here's the testimony of a wicked one. Now look at Matthew 27, 54. This is the man that was in charge of putting Jesus to death. Here's his testimony. When the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? The man in charge of the execution came to faith in Jesus Christ. Incredible. Pretty good witness. And now finally, the testimony of devils, and you might be shocked by this one, but I don't know of any better evidence, really much better in the Bible than the testimony of devils. They talked continually about Christ because they were afraid of Him and they knew who He was every time they saw Him. They knew that one day this would be the man that would judge them. That he would be the one send them to the lake of fire. They knew that. They feared him greatly. They knew he had power to do it. Let's read some of the testimony from these devils. <clears throat> Matthew 8, 28-32 When he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, now he's crossed the Sea of Galilee and come to the other side of it. He's come to the country of the Gergesenes. There met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. Behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come to hither to torment us before the time? You see, they confess him as the Son of God. we got people today that won't do that. They won't come up an aisle like this in, a, in an assembly 
and stand in front of a group of people and confess Jesus is the Christ. These devils did, and they did it gladly. And they were scared not to. And so notice what they say. What are we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? And there was a good way off from them, and heard of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us there, if thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. Mark gives this record of it. And they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and calling, cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice, saying, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God, that thou torment me not. For he had said unto him, Come out of the, come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him that besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about two thousand, and were choked in the sea. And yes, that's the Razorbacks wiped out in one sweep there. A whole, whole bunch of them. <laughs> Luke 8, 26-33. Notice how they're confessing Christ. And incidentally, these devils are an interesting study because they're a spirit's what they are. And a spirit desires a body. A spirit wants to inhabit a body. It doesn't want to be bodiless. It doesn't want to be disembodied. And these, these devils want to dwell in something. They need a body to inhabit, you see. And they've been, they've been dwelling in this man and driving him crazy. They've been giving him superhuman strength to break his chains and his fetters. They've been causing him to cut himself with stones. He runs naked around those tombs. He's just a wild, crazy man. Everybody fears him. He's so, he's so strong from the strength that they've given him. Nobody can tame him. There's not enough men can hold him down and bind him. And if they ever get, do get fetters on him, he just breaks them because that, those devils give him such strength. And so he's, he's just a tormented man. These devils don't want to be disembodied. So there's some pigs feeding there on the mountain. Heard of about 2,000 of them. And they asked Jesus to let them enter into those swine. The point is a, 
a spirit had rather inhabit a pig's body than to be disembodied. And so when they entered those herd of swine, they, they made them crazy. They just drove them insane right there so that they ran violently down the steep place and they perished into the sea there and that expelled those spirits out. I don't know what they gained because when the hogs drowned, well, it, it expelled the spirits out of them, those devils. <coughs> and uh, where they went from that, I have no idea. But they didn't stay in the body as the pigs very long because they drove them crazy and caused them to kill themselves. So it's an interesting story. In Luke 8 now, 26 to 33, they arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee, and when he went forth to, to land, there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils long time, and wear no clothes, neither abode in any house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him with a loud voice, and said, What have I to do with, with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For oftentimes it had caught him, and he was kept bound with chains and in fetters, and he brake the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is thy name? And he said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. And they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. And there was there an herd of many swine feeding on the mountain. And they besought him that he would suffer them to enter into them. And he suffered them. Then went the devils out of the man and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake and were choked. There again, notice how these, this legion of devils all knew him to be the Son of, the God, Son of God Most High. Mark 1, 23 to 28. There was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had, had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out. And they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. Mark 1, 32-33, And at even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased, and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many that were sick of divers' diseases, and cast out many devils, and suffered the devils not to speak, because they knew him. Mark 3, 11, 12, Unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him, and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightly charged them that they should make, not make him known. Luke 4, 33-37, in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. 
And Jesus rebuked them, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him, and hurt him not. And they were all amazed, and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this! For with authority and power he commandeth the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the fame of him went out into every place of the country round about. Luke 4, verse 41 to 44. Now when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with divers diseases brought them unto him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And the devils also came out of many, crying out and saying, Thou art Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, suffered them not to speak, for they knew that he was Christ. Now unfortunately, Casting out devils was tried by somebody that had no authority to do it. You don't ever want to do that. <laughs> Look what happened in Acts chapter 19. Certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had unclean spirits the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Siva, a Jew, and chief of the priest, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, and overcame them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. So this man that was possessed was given superhuman strength, and he jumped on all seven of them, and he whipped them, and he tore their clothes off, and wounded them, and they became some of the early streakers in the city of Ephesus, as they ran down the streets of that city naked and wounded. You just didn't do stuff like this and claim to have this power when you didn't have it. And of course very few had it. There's men that do this today. The devils know Jesus Christ. They fear Him, you see. James 2.19 Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. They are scared to death of Christ. Now there's the testimony of six categories, God the Father, Jesus, angels, righteous men, wicked men, devils, and they all testify to the same thing, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. God has just put evidence in here sufficient to convince anyone that will look at it. And if you were on a jury, that's a pretty good catalog of witnesses. I'll give one little piece more of evidence, and then I'm not going to finish the rest of these pages, but at least this next sheet here. Another evidence of who Jesus is is the way He spoke. Wouldn't you like to hear Christ preach and teach? He's the master at it. If we think we've heard great teaching in our day, no. There's nobody can hold a candle to Him. Nobody could in his day. Matthew 7, 28, 29, right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And that Sermon on the Mount 
is Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. It's a great sermon. It's what Jesus preached everywhere. We read, it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. There was a difference in how Jesus spoke. He taught as one having authority. They see, the scribes were just, they were pretty hallowed. They were hypocrites. Everybody knew it. But there was no hypocrisy in this Jesus of Nazareth. He spoke with authority. He didn't have to quote somebody else. He could say, you've heard that it hath been said, but I say unto you. And that's what he did in the Sermon on the Mount. He exercised his authority, see. He spoke differently than anyone else. Mark 1, 21-22, They went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority, and not as the scribes. Luke 4, 31-32, And came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days, and they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. And then in John 7, this is so interesting. The Lord's enemies have sent now officers to arrest Christ. Let's, let's see what happened. Did they arrest him? Let's notice. The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him. And the Pharisees and chief priests sent officers to take him. Now verse 45, these officers returned. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees. And they said unto them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. We've never heard anybody like him. So they couldn't even arrest him because of the authority by which he spoke. I'm going to quit off right here. We could go on and say something about his miracles. And if we decide to continue to study this, I'll take you through the Lord's miracles. There's so much more evidence. All of his great miracles, uh, some of the greatest testimony we can have about Jesus. Nobody could do the miracles he did. And then also, Ben mentioned this in the prayer, all of the, the, the prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. Just the scores and scores of prophecies. We may go through some of that if we continue the series and decide to run all 78 pages. All of those are written down, these prophecies and the fulfillment. And uh, so you'll have all that information, you'll have all that uh, resource. And that's kind of what I'd like you to have is your own notebook with all this in it, if, if all of you are interested. So I'd like to leave that with you. I'll, I'll leave the earth one of these days, and I'd like to leave a lot of this stuff with you. And you can use it when I'm gone, okay? I'll get to speak from the grave. <laughs> That's going to be nice. So, thank you for the attention today. Let's have the invitation. If someone should need the Lord this morning, we're certainly not in a hurry. You may come as we stand to sing this song. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.